It, it, it was, if you work hard enough, you can replace depression with exhaustion. Yes. <laughs> I think that's kind of my mode. Yeah, same. I think that's kind of like the mode of a lot of people who are ex, I don't want to speak for you, but like alcoholics oh, or... Like addict types? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like workaholism or perfectionism, all those isms that are kind of related to alcoholism, which are all, you know, the same thing with different names and different forms. Right. Yeah, it's really, really strange to to see that it manifest in different ways and also the ways that the isms don't crop up. You know what I mean? Like there are certain things where I have zero compulsion to towards where I'm like, yeah, that's like really not my thing. But yeah, I definitely like, I, I think sex addiction is, oh, is right. one that I, I never got into at all, yeah. but um, definitely like workaholism. And I think it's just always, I try to spin it in a positive way though. Cause it's like, well, you know, if I just yeah. see this as a vessel for, for something good, then maybe I can somehow justify it, even though I'm like really exhausted. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, it's a way to sort of, to exit the bondage of self, you know? But workaholism, you mean? Well, it can be. Something. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I don't want to throw this out there too soon in the conversation. <laughs> but don't you think we we are living this mysterious length of time on this mysterious earth thing don't you think 
there's room to just do <laughs> like do like whatever that is and any sort of you know allowance is okay I, I mean that's where i stand it's like whatever like work like like you said we can fill it in it's only it's just personal it's like even the drugs honestly brett i mean barrett it's okay um it's up to the person. I've seen people do drugs their whole life and they're fine. <laughs> I personally was like destroying uh, relationships and um, crying all the time. And um, I lost a couple teeth because of the drug I did all the time. <laughs> um, a couple of them rotted. So, you know, there were enough consequences that it just, I don't know. I felt like changing this scene. <laughs> yeah. But some people are okay. It's, it's just personal right yeah and I always kind of have to remember that there's no like there are so many different ways and solutions like I I think a lot about it with art like I I look at your stuff and you know you have this like incredibly sort of masterful simplified practice and but then you sort of see multimedia art in this um blurring distinction i kind of see it as like i don't know i think i said something about this how we're sort of in this like weimar period of hyperinflation and precarity and the bauhaus movement was kind of born of this need to like how do you how do you live sort of in an artistic way or like, how do you bring all of these things to the fold? And you're seeing a lot with like a lot of like the internet art stuff, but you do it a completely different way than I guess some of my, even though you, it's, it's funny because I read that you came, you started from this kind of like conceptual background. <laughs> well, I think I, I still work conceptually. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to disparage that. I, I didn't mean it that way. I'm just mean like people identify conceptual art as a form. Yeah. Oh, I know what you yeah. mean. I'm yeah, just yeah. being challenging. That's kind of fun for me. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I sort of had to respond to a similar statement slash question this past weekend. I think I told you I, I spoke at Bard College and it was fine. I always get really nervous, even talking to you. I get nervous. Any parameter of time makes me nervous, which is um, uncomfortable. But the more we talk, I'm going to like breathe in and out and chill out <laughs> a little bit. Um, I'm at home. Everything's okay. <laughs> um, but conceptual. So um, I think I, I succumbed to the pressures um, at a certain time in my life. I had a love hate relationship with New York city. I mean, it's all I knew as an adult because I moved there when I was 17 and the addiction to the speed and the ferocity of it. Um, is that a word? <laughs> I was thinking ferocious. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's um, frighteningly um, pressure filled, you know, um, which can be interpreted as exciting too. So it's all of the above, but I think, um, I think at the time I, I took one painting class in college that was um, Lisa Uscavage, a painter who's done very well for herself. And she, I mean, she just happened to say um, 
the right thing for me to understand painting as a craft. So I sort of went with that, but not, not this sort of old master style that I'm kind of into right now as my craft, but just painting in general, I, I could do it. And I chose that as a form and I explored, you know, painting, but there was always the ways of seeing, and you know, this like beyond the craft, beyond the presentation of how, you know, I want to communicate through art or art world or whatever. Um, there's ways of seeing the world, you know, like we all have a way of seeing the world and I have an inherent, uh, I, maybe it's that same ism somewhere deep. It's that like uncomfortable, I've got to do something with that energy, um, which, you know, seems to work with making art. Um, so, but the, the ways of seeing that part that, which I think is concept, it's like, to formulate the way you see and try to communicate it, I feel like is a transmutation alone. Like it's a, it's yeah. a way to conceptualize sort of what's going on behind your eyes, you know, like, so I guess to say conceptual art is, is a little confusing to me. Like in a general way, I know what you mean, but I also think it's become so much that does that just mean sculpture? Cause sculpture is sculpture. Does it just mean nothing in a gallery and words on the wall to describe the nothingness? Then that is conceptual. Right. Uh, so what isn't conceptual? Well, that exactly. That's kind of what I was, I was trying to get at is that I just, I think it's, well, I think the what art I was, world, yeah. Like versus weekend painter or whatever they call, you know, in the art world, I think we're all conceptual to some degree at this point. I mean, I think life is, is conceptual. Of course, yeah. So, uh, you know, so I, it's, <laughs> you know, so I don't really see there being anything sort of like devoid of conception itself. I mean, like concepts are basically what advance existence in life. So I don't really see, you know, like I just, I'm basically using that word as like a placeholder for something else. Because, you know, when I, w I was like, took painting in, in art school my one year and they asked me you know they took all the kids in the in the painting class in the class and they were like okay so which do you prefer uh classical arts painting or conceptual art and, yeah. I, and I just yeah. said well conceptual art all all art is conceptual so are you talking about conceptualism as a form because yeah. I think because I think you know, medium-specific art gets called conceptual art, like like art that refers back to the to its form or its formalities is is what I kind of mean by conceptual art. But this is all like, uh, like boring, stupid shit. Um, I, I'm I'm just I'm just really fascinated because you you have such an incredible redemptive story, and you know, and I love how you moved out of New York City and moved to Nashville and sort of found this like, you know, sort of, you sort of like reemerged. And, you know, I, I yeah. tell everybody this, like, you have to leave these places. Like, I mean, I live in Texas now and I, I don't have any regrets over it at all. It was like one of the okay. best decisions I've ever made in my whole life, especially now that the internet is getting more and more um, reflective and, and 
in culture is kind of trickling down from these digital sources. And I think it's really important to live somewhere that isn't so informed by that, you know, that's a, a little bit more grounded in time. Maybe it's, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, it's like, um, well, because there are so many people around, um, I mean, I found a way to stay inside there <laughs> like all the time as well. Um, it was fear. Uh, I didn't leave, I guess. I stayed there for more or less like 16 years. So I guess my whole adult life up until like my mid-30s was New York City. I think it's a lot of it was simply just fear of um, change, you know, mm-hmm. like fear of the unknown, fear of failure, um, especially considering myself an arty kind of person, I, I had a way of perceiving my hometown as being sort of like, oh, if I die, no one's going to find me. And like, there are certain parts of the world that um, make me feel like that. And usually it's like housing developments where every house looks the same. Like that gives me that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, just scary. It's kind of, okay, here's all the dogs. <laughs> no, this is great. I, I love sound effects. Really? Yeah. Three dogs. <laughs> well, I guess the right person on your show then. <laughs> Dad's dogs. <laughs> uh, rain. Um, but I guess what I was saying uh, about moving away, since you brought it up, um, it it wasn't really my decision. I was kicking and screaming, um, which honestly, a lot of things in retrospect. Um, that's how change, like, like deep change has occurred in my life is with me kicking and screaming, even, you know, mentally, spiritually, like, but physically as well. I just held on, um, until there was nothing to hold on to anymore. And even then I just moved to LA (laughs) as like a, as like a buffer, um, to my hometown because LA still had this foreignness to me. So I got to sort of date date the, the desert landscape you know like i, I yeah. still have to like explore parts of la i'd never been until i moved there honestly which is funny how long ago did you move there gosh that was 2011 okay i stayed there until 2015 and, and there was a period of time i left um to live in africa for a little bit but i stayed there three years i guess um and even leaving la was kind of kicking and screaming um no, that's exaggerating. I just didn't. I, I was scared. Scared of the unknown. Um, scared of giving up, whatever that meant. Um, right. Giving up what? Being uncomfortable. <laughs> that's the irony. Um, but you don't see it when you're in it, you know? Yeah. Like you just said, you're like, oh, looking back, like, oh, that was the perfect thing for me. But you know what? It might not be the perfect thing for everybody. I mean, I just visited New York and I, I had a lot of... Um, nostalgia and wondering like how certain people that I know that are my age can still live there. Um, and I was questioning that. Like, I always, I I always do that too. Like, yeah. Like, you know, because I'm, I'm from LA and I've lived there for most of my life. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of like some of the things I just wonder how people can still live there. I mean, people are really moving out of there. It's not like New York where there's still, 
there's still like amenable reasons to stay or at least move there from a different place. LA is just completely, yeah. I, I always wonder, it's like, what is it about me that I just can't make it in places like this? You know, like sometimes I do ask myself that. Like I, I, I have you this- You mean make it? You mean I mean, just, just sur survive. Like I don't even think mm. I could survive in a place like New York. And it's nothing- I don't think it has anything to do with like the my will because I think I'm I'm an extremely strong-willed person but almost because yeah. I have too much will and I I will fight too much or something or yeah. I'll yeah or I'm too sensitive to certain uh stimulus and uh, and yeah. not enough to others or you know what I mean like there's something about just openness and yeah and and just being being able to remain fluid, you know, I was in the Chagyam Trungpa documentary, the Tibetan Rinpoche who like held guns up to oh, his head, and I'm reading his book right now. You must be psychic. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I I I completely love him and think he's exactly what I the word is. Spiritual materialism. Yeah, spiritual materialism is yeah. yeah, it's incredible. It, it's just like I you oh, know. Oh, I love that you you love it too. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big fan. But at the end, when they were recounting his death, this woman who was a follower of hers said like the purpose of his life, you know, it's like he didn't want to be categorized or framed and, right. you know, and the purpose of his life was to remain unframed and fluid so that others could come forward in their basic goodness. And that to me is yeah. like what crazy wisdom or, um, it, you know, spiritual materialism is like it unifies all of these things so that we don't have to cast judgment or get too pious or get too materialist in one direction or, or the other. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that, I don't know. Yeah, oh, did Andrew tell you I was reading that? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> Give me some hints. <laughs> um, gosh, oh, I have so many thoughts on that. Um, I absolutely, that is my um, fascination is, the same fascination that he has had, um, which is just, I think you said it, the openness, the, the only inevitability being, oh my gosh, my dogs, I swear, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna hang up on me. Um, the um, only constant is change, um, simplicity. The, the law of simplicity. Um, I just love that when I started exploring, like, for instance, I mean, any philosophy, I guess, but um, I've always been fascinated by philosophers, but unlike you or someone like, you know, my boyfriend or many others, I can't retain in a, in a college student-like way um, who said what? <laughs> And, and I, and I found like, I'm okay with this. Uh, once I realized that this is how I retain knowledge. Like, I always did really poorly on like English, um, you know, reading comprehension type tests. Um, looking back, I was better at math, <laughs> like wow. really good at math. Um, but 
for instance, um, I don't know, like any philosopher, I would just, it's almost like I would replace the subject or the author, you know, of the text with I, like me. So I would flow through a book as if I were the narrator or I were the writer and I would soak it up. Does that make sense? So yeah. <laughs> it was me reading, writing, whatever. Um, so I was drawn mostly to the ones that were most, you know, comprehensible um, or easy to sort of, you know, relate to. Like Nietzsche is a good example because, you know, we all know who Nietzsche is, I, I would assume. Um, he's easy to read, you know, yeah. it isn't obtuse. Right. Um, I don't think. Well, that's why. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. I confuse it though. Like I confuse it with like I hear, you know, on your podcast, and there's this brilliant woman you had on a couple of shows ago. And she's like the ideal student because she can or teacher. I think she said she was a teacher. Yeah. Because she can cite what author said what and what they name certain things. Now, I sort of have this like inherent feeling or idea of something that doesn't really have a word. <laughs> like if I mean God's a good example, G O D, right? Yeah. I don't have a word for, I could say my so-and-so's God is Simone Weil's idea of goodness, which is, um, how do you say his name? Chagyam <laughs> Trung. Uh, yeah. Like his idea or Buddha's idea of like the wise mind or wise self or, you know, I can't go through, I mean, I just did it maybe briefly and I probably got it wrong, <laughs> but I just have, I integrate it like almost automatically to where it's like an emotional resonance maybe, or, a, um, and I'm finally figuring this out. Like the more, like the more I've gotten into painting and having to sort of answer to, or give non answers <laughs> to questions about, you know, why I do this or what I'm saying here. And I realize now that um, pictures are my, my sort of way of communicating. It's like my superpower with communication. <laughs> yeah. And um, I accept that, you know, uh, which is, well, probably why I was nervous to talk to you because I'm like, what kind of stupid things are going to come out of my mouth? No, <laughs> no, this is wrong. amazing. No, no, oh. seriously. You sound like right. uh, Rinpoche Candace O'Denver. Like you, uh, you actually yeah. sound, you talk like a Rinpoche, which is, oh, that's which, so funny. no, seriously. I mean, <laughs> Like particulars, they don't really add up as much as I think people assume they do in every single context. I think we sort of, we're sort of like over-informationized. We're, we're sort of data sexualized. We're sexualized towards data and information instead of this kind of basic simplistic knowledge that can be honestly I think greatly expressed through art. The problem with art and is that, you know, I was actually just reading, funny enough, Simone Weil quote, that she said something like, art has no immediate future because all art is collective and there is no more collective life. There are only dead collections of people. And because oh. of this breaking of the true pact between the body and the soul, You know, I think about that sometimes, but I also, but there's also like an internal collectivization process that we undertake 
because we're in dialogue with ourselves. And so maybe art is like the thing that's supposed to resolve that inner dialogue. And Chagyam Trungpa, when he talks about art too, he says, you know, he, he had this whole thing where he was like, I want a Buddhist military. Like, I want to, I want the arts and the sciences. Like, I want to bring all of these things together because I want people to experience art as art is. I want people to experience the aggression so that they can solve aggression. And I think that was such like a beautiful statement and gesture that he that he was trying to give to people. And and it was so cool. He was just hitting on everyone's wives and like smoking cigarettes and getting super drunk and falling off his chair all the time. You know, it's like 